2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21 and 22 says this, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Wow, a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The enemy has one goal in the world, and that is, as it relates to you, to plunder what is sacred, to desecrate what is holy. And he definitely wants to do everything to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Jesus emphasized those agendas of the enemy, and in the same verse, Jesus said, But I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. And so as we consider this afternoon or this morning just the importance of what it is to walk with power with God, power with men, purity is so key. And I want to walk through the pathway to power. Um, until we get those notes, I want to just turn to Psalm 119. And uh, I've already given you a hint here, but do you know what the longest prayer in the Bible is? I always knew what the longest chapter in the Bible was, Psalm 119. But uh, over some time, uh, working through this chapter and at points, I was taking a set of eight verses uh, there through Psalm 119 and spending a whole week uh, working through one set of eight and then the next week reading the next set of eight. It's amazing how much help is in Psalm 119. But Psalm 119 is not just a book or a chapter about the Word. There's no mistake about it as you open up the longest chapter in the Bible. It has everything to do with helping us to love this book. It's a precious book. Uh, as we come to Bible college, your classes are just whetting your appetite for a lifelong pursuit of an inexhaustible book. And I just hope that whether you're in the college or if you're in seminary, that you'll recognize that this is just the beginning of an incredible opportunity of learning this word. But Psalm 119 also reminds us that it's not just a chapter about the Bible, it's the most valuable prayer you could ever pray. As we walk through Psalm 119, and we won't do all that here this morning for time's sake, I encourage you to do that on your own. You'll be amazed to see how, like so many psalms, the psalm is set in a way that you can pray it straight out of the text as your heart beat to God. Psalm 119, verse 1, incidentally gives us this statement. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. I find that to be one of the most amazing verses that opens up the most profound prayer we find in the pages of the Bible. And as we do uh, consider its application to our lives, I just want to punctuate the fact that there is incredible hope wherever we are for you and I to walk from this day with having power with God and power with men. Other men that God used in amazing ways recognized just how important purity was in their lives. And I'm talking purity in its broadest perspective. 
And as we consider several lives, I just want to call out to these three, Job made a covenant. It was so important to him, being a man of integrity before God. Job 31.1, Job says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? David promised in Psalm 101, verse 1, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. And then Dr. Zempel brought this out to us yesterday. Daniel also purposed in his heart. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That he would not defile himself. Notice, with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank, therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And Jesus goes on to develop, which... Daniel also understood so well as he continued to live his life moving forward as, a, as an official in Babylon. That purity had everything and so much more to do than just eating and drinking. Jesus said the things that defile us are not so much what we take in or something that's on the outside of us. It's what's on the inside of us. And Daniel certainly understood that. And those decision points in each of these men's lives had everything to do with putting them in a place of incredible influence. Isaiah 57 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God has a special place for those who walk in brokenness, a contrite and humble spirit. And the thing that I'm just coming to realize in my own journey forward in helping to encourage folks to usefulness for the Savior is coming to recognize that the standard for purity in my life is not actually my mom or dad. It's not your parents. Your standard is not your pastor or your BCM handbook or your peer group or culture. And I hope most of those influences listed there are the kind of influences God in his providence is helping to shape your moral compass. I hope the things that the Spirit of God is using you to awaken you to the sensitivity to the Spirit of God in your life. But you know, a lot of times we can somehow only see the walls and boundaries within a certain context of our lives. For this semester, BCM happens to be the context of your lives. But perhaps four years from now, you're going to be in another context in your life. And it's interesting that sometimes as we think of power with God and power with men, we end up defining it by the context with which we're in. And I want us to be able to lift our eyes well beyond a student handbook, or well beyond a dorm supervisor, or well beyond uh, BCM administration, or well beyond your local church, well beyond some other authority in your life, to the Spirit of God. I have come to realize that boundaries in our lives are our release to freedom and power with God and men. I always thought that it was a cage that kept me from somehow being able to reach my potential. I'm coming to realize so much that a life of integrity is never a life of convenience. 
but it's valuing our most precious asset before God. And I think as we have that perspective, we step into life and discover we don't see walls anymore. We see a pathway right into the throne room of heaven, having a place for power with God and power with men. It's no loss feeling our lives somehow hemmed in by do's and don'ts. And if somehow we approach our Christian walk as somehow being so framed in, we've missed an incredible opportunity before us. God is just using us. He's put using those boundaries in our lives to help us to be in the place He can do some unbelievable, miraculous things through your life. If you and I are going to live lives that are marked by miracles, it does demand a price. But I'm telling you, it is so worth it when God is able to work through you because your focus is on pleasing the Spirit of God. It's no wonder that we find uh, in Paul's epistles, grieve not the Spirit of God, quench not the Spirit of God. We never quench His presence but we can absolutely quench his power. And so as we step forward, I just am encouraged with the fact that the Holy Spirit is a standard of purity. Don't ignore him. Don't grieve him and never quench him. You're going to find as God uses your time here at Baptist College of Ministry how God just nurtures you forward to a sensitivity to his spirit. And God's going to put other influences in your life as well in your journey forward that are going to encourage you toward a sensitivity to the Spirit of God. And I just want to encourage you as you step forward that you recognize that at the end of the day, my life ought to be one that's always walking in, a, in, a, in an acute sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart. As you step into the glass box of ministry, we can never underestimate the importance of how God wants to use you to touch lives. And God may, in His providence, lead you to some boundaries that are actually going to be tighter than those you find yourself in today. Because He's going to open up for you an opportunity that's bigger than you've ever had before. It's interesting that as we look at men like Job and Daniel, their influence was unprecedented. And a lot of that had so much to do, like Dr. Zempel helped us with yesterday, because of decision points that they made in their lives earlier. Now, as God resensitizes us, you and I can often come to the place where we say, Yes, Lord, you're on my doorstep. And I see where I have defiled your temple. And I'm here to make that right. But there's a big difference between living a life that's marked by openness and a life marked by brokenness. I want to just give you these men, Pharaoh, Balaam, Achan, Saul, David, Nehemiah, and Judas, uh, all said the words, I have sinned. But you're going to see in that list, some of those men, while they were open men, were definitely not broken men. We're not going to develop that list. You all are Bible students, and so you're recognizing that as you see those names. But if your name was on that list, 
Would you be one of those that stand in the line of individuals that were simply marked by openness somehow to relieve the pressure at hand so that you could continue to have your way? Or would you be one of those whose life was forever changed and had incredible influence for the lives of others because of brokenness? Those are easy words to toss out, openness and brokenness, but what do they really mean? How do we... Uh, strike the difference between these two concepts. And I just want to say as we step through several considerations to draw this contrast that openness is always a prerequisite to brokenness. But it's possible to be open and to never be broken. And so God wants to bring us to the place of incredible usefulness. We're going to talk about a lot of that tomorrow But today I'm trying to help us to realize that wherever we are, God wants to put us in the place where we can qualify with clean hands and a pure heart before him. A life like is mentioned in Isaiah 57 with whom God dwells. And so I want to draw these contrasts and these comparisons between openness and brokenness. An open person is always grieved over the consequences of sin. Thank God for that. God often uses the consequences to shake us up to reality. I'm so grateful that God uses consequences in our lives because if we didn't have consequences, we almost would never realize we did anything wrong. But it's not enough to just be grieved over the consequences. A broken person is grieved over how his sin has broken his fellowship with God. 1 John really develops this concept so much that God is wanting to bring us to a place where we're not just grieved at how much we forfeited because of some mistake here or there. But God is wanting to use that as as a reminder to us of something that's even so much more valuable. That's our relationship, intimacy with Him. An open person is motivated to confess sin impulsively and categorically for the purpose of removing the weight of personal guilt. But a broken person is motivated to see his sin from God's perspective so that he can confess thoroughly and specifically for the sake of deep cleansing. Let me develop that just a moment. I've uh, come to services like we're in this morning where the Spirit of God is working in my life in a profound way. Maybe someone has pulled me aside and encouraged me to consider some things that need a change in my life. And because I'm wanting to do the right thing and be responsive to the Spirit of God, I'm all there and I'm ready to just um, get it over, be done, and move on. And not realizing that God wants to take more time with me to be able to thoroughly cleanse my soul so my life is not marked by perpetual defeat, but by lasting change. And so that's a big difference between an open person is it's not just that we're here to, okay, I see it, let's get it right, and let's take on the next responsibility of the day. We want to take all the time and only the time that the Spirit of God wants to have with us to make us vessels that are clean with Him. An open person focuses only on what he has done wrongly. Where a broken person seeks to understand why he has failed and how his offenses have made others to feel. 
An open person is always just focused on the facts. Okay, I did this, let's acknowledge this fact, but never takes long enough to consider the why behind the failure. You know, I have found in my life I can live at points a life that's marked by perpetual defeat because I've never taken long enough to understand what the enemy's strategy is in my life. And while God wants to make us all free men and women by bringing us to the place of acknowledging whatever he's on your doorstep about, God wants to do something that's so much bigger than just acknowledging the facts of whatever he brings to your attention today. He wants you to take the time to understand not just why, but how those choices have impacted the lives of others. Wow, it's amazing how we walk through that with God. How He just sets us free and gives us momentum and gives us traction in our walk forward. An open person is also more focused on what he did not do rather than on what he did do in an attempt to justify himself and to soften the impact of his confession. I sit in a lot of counseling cases, hundreds of hours. And one thing I'm amazed about is as God is working in lives in a very genuine way, I can always mark the difference between an open person and a broken person when someone comes and says, God's working my life about this particular issue, and, uh, but I, and it is every bit of courage for them to even talk to me about those issues. I admire that individual, whoever they may be, that has that appointment. But then because of just the shock in their own heart of what they're trying to process and deal with with God, they're so concerned about uh, someone drawing conclusions that maybe aren't or weren't, and I get that, that next thing you know, that individual is all down the track of trying to punctuate everything he didn't do. And the focus is all on justification. Now, they're not trying to justify in anything that, of what they did do. But it's amazing how sometimes the Spirit of God is not half as concerned about what we didn't do. He's on our doorstep with, to take all the time with Him on what we did do. And I've just realized how important, sometimes so subconsciously, as we're making things right with God, how we can make this leap um, and uh, fail to walk from openness to brokenness. A broken person, in contrast, keeps the focus on his confession, the focus of his confession on what he did do with transparency and thoroughness. Wow. It is incredible to see a life that's marked by that kind of spirit. An open person also uses his confession as a springboard to justify his motives and explain his wrong or exhort others spiritually. Ever met an individual that God's working in their life and perhaps they stand up and testify or perhaps uh, talk with you? Perhaps you've had this experience yourself where someone had something to make right with you. But instead of ending that confession with a period, they use it as a springboard to be able to challenge you or to somehow maybe warn you or encourage you from making similar choices. I found myself doing that where God's working in my life. I go to acknowledge that first before the Lord, before those that deserve to know. And I really have a hard time feeling the pain of ending that confession with a period. Because 
I want to somehow use it as my springboard to soften some of that uh, pain in my life. I don't want someone to somehow be left with an impression of me that somehow uh, I was just all as wrong as I've made out to be. Well, the fact is, I was wrong. And it is so important to recognize that a broken person will end his confession with a period so as not to neutralize or soften the impact of his confession in any way. Wow, I'll tell you what, it's incredible how powerful that is. An individual can completely undo the confession and the work that God has truly done in their lives, but they can undo it in a moment by using that confession as their springboard to challenge and exhort others. Always remember that. An open person is one who fails to see how spiritually needy he really is because he's so focused on wanting to help the spiritual needs of others. But a broken person always sees himself as the biggest one in need and his own relationship with God as his greatest priority. I've already said I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of men in ministry. And one thing I'm amazed about, we all in ministry uh, carry a pastor's heart or missionary's heart, a, a vision for being able to help the lives of people. But one thing I found is when God's working in our lives about something, it's hard for us to take long enough there because we're thinking, just think how I could use what God's using in my life to now turn around and preach to my Sunday school, to preach to my church, to help somebody else. I've real, I'm realizing that God absolutely is teaching us lessons God wants you to use with others. God did not intend for your life to be a life that's much like the Dead Sea, where we just take in, but we never give out. But the depth of our influence with others has everything to do with the time we take, with the Spirit of God, to allow Him to keep the spotlight on us and to fully understand the lessons He wants to do with us. Because as we're in that place, we'll be in the best place for influence in the lives of others. An open person believes that, his, that trust can be demanded based on an honest confession. You know, sometimes we make choices that do cost something. And I think we can never underestimate the fact that every time we grieve the Spirit of God, it always comes at some cost. But you and I can reach a threshold, especially as we anticipate the gospel ministry. We can make choices that do forfeit opportunities in a serious way. As we consider that, I think it's valuable for us to realize that an open person is not just about demanding the trust that they have broken because somehow they have fully and carefully confessed. Because in fact, brokenness is recognizing that my trust must be one again. Over time, as I build a new history of integrity, it doesn't take a grievous offense to shatter trust. Anytime that we do shatter trust, however, we have to realize that we can't just demand trust just because we've asked forgiveness. 
Trust is one, and a broken person understands that reality. An open person maintains boundaries with the primary objective of winning others' trust as soon as possible so he can be released to make his own decisions. Perhaps certain boundaries have been established by an authority to help safeguard the same mistakes again. And with an open person, they're willing to embrace those boundaries for a period of time, but after a while, they're always knocking at your door, hoping that somehow that boundary line can move, because after all, uh, I'm such and such age, or I have these opportunities or these responsibilities. Can't I qualify now? A broken person is not as concerned about winning the trust of others as he is in proving to himself he's committed to freedom. That's been revolutionary in my life to recognize that every boundary in my life is not to prove to somebody else I'm trustworthy. I'm the biggest one that needs to be convinced. (laughs) And as we understand that difference, it gives us a revolutionary perspective in being able to be the change God wants us to be. An open person chafes against boundaries because of the perception that boundaries are an insult to his maturity. But a broken person establishes and values personal boundaries as his release to power with God and power with men. We talked a little bit about that earlier this morning. And I think that is such an important characteristic, a defining distinction between openness and brokenness. An open person also reacts when those he has offended bring up his offense after he's already confessed it. It's amazing how much we can bristle when someone happens to bring up the offense that we've um, acknowledged at some point earlier when God was dealing with us and we almost feel insulted and we start to point the finger at them and say, well, obviously you've not forgiven me, otherwise you wouldn't be talking about it. Doesn't the Bible say love covers a multitude of sins? But it's valuable to realize that when we hurt, we also uh, create a need for incredible healing. And a broken person pursues the healing of those he's wronged until those offended experience such full resolve in their lives of the issues that have caused so much pain There's no need to bring that issue up. I've often realized, and this can happen in small ways as well as great ways, as individuals have been deeply impacted, their trust has been shattered. And as we are building now a new history of integrity, it's amazing how we can come and uh, uh, feel insulted that they are Uh, bringing the issue up at a later time, assuming, well, they must not have forgiven. When, in fact, sometimes the reality is they still are very wounded. And God wants us to not just be the channel of one that comes to make things right and ask for forgiveness, but he wants us to be the kind of individual that makes an investment for a lifetime for the healing of those we've hurt. This is such an important key to power with God, power with men. An open person reacts to consequences as a demonstration that God's angry with me and of everyone's unforgiveness of me. 
a broken person absolutely welcomes consequences as a reminder, a loving reminder of God's mercy in his life. Do you know that one of the greatest gifts God gifts us with is the gift of consequences? And a lot of times you and I can kind of chafe at that and as we think, Lord, I just wish that I could walk free of consequences. And I just want to say God is in a, on a mission of redemption in all of our lives. But I'm thinking back to what we talked about with Jacob yesterday as God brought Jacob to an incredible place of surrender there on the shore of that brook. And it's interesting as he got up and walked forward, yes, he walked now as a prince with God. But that limp was a daily reminder of his absolute dependence on the Savior. And I think as we come to recognize that God loves me as a child of God so much, he cares so much that everything he allows in my life is helped to guide me, to keep me in the place of usefulness. It's one thing to become usable for God. It's another thing to be able to stay in the place of usefulness for God. One of my greatest prayers and desires is, Lord, would you keep me usable? Perhaps you can think the times, and perhaps you're living in a time in your life right now where without mistake, your life is marked by power with God and man. And as you're seeing God's touch in your life, you want to pray every day, Lord, would you keep me in that place? Would you forever keep me in the place of influence with you, influence with men? An open person fears the possibility of anyone ever knowing his failures because of what others may think of him. I'm willing to acknowledge what I need to acknowledge to those and only those that need to know. I get that. God's not on a mission to somehow bring us to the place of um, announcing to the world the things that he's doing in our lives. But one characteristic of a broken person is that he's always going to be in the place of valuing the opportunity to discreetly share past failures as a testimony with the goal of helping others experience that same freedom. You know, it's amazing how much the enemy whispers in our ear, you're the only one that ever struggled in such and such an area. And I just want you to consider the reality that very likely... Half of the people or more in your very pew need help and encouragement down the same road. And as God is working in your life to make you a person of clean hands and a pure heart, God is wanting to put you in a place of incredible influence. He's building in your life a life message. Whereas you go to disciple people, it's not just black text off a white page to their brain. It's a living reality of what God's done in you where you can tangibly demonstrate to others how God has used his truth in key areas in your life very tangibly to change you. It's amazing how much we are all helped more by a life than we are ever helped by a book. And God wants to take his book which has incredible power, and he wants it to wear skin called you. 
And I'm telling you, when you and I can be the Bible with skin on, it's amazing how much influence you can have in the discipleship of lives. This is the difference between an open person and a broken person. A couple more. An open person views confession as the essence of walking in spiritual victory. Can you think to a time when God worked so powerfully in your life, it felt like a thousand pounds rolled off your back? I can think back to times in my life where that was just the most exhilarating moment of my Christian experience. In fact, uh, for some, it was so overwhelming, so ecstatic, they felt like they got saved all over again. Isn't that incredible? It's an amazing thing. Sometimes we don't realize we're, how bound we are until we're freed. And I have been so amazed and encouraged how God uses that release to just punctuate for us this incredible desire He has that we walk in that fellowship with Him every single day of our lives. But a lot of times I've found in my own life I've kind of ridden a roller coaster from one confession, mountaintop of confession, to the next mountaintop of confession. I hate to call confession a mountaintop because it feels every bit like a valley, doesn't it? But I call it a mountaintop in the sense that there's a sense where we've never felt closer to God than when we've been so honest with God and those who deserve to know in our lives. And in that place, sometimes we fail to realize that this, in fact, is not the essence of the victorious Christian life. It's not living a life that's always marked by just transparency. Rather, brokenness is such we view obedience to and fellowship with God as the essence of walking in spiritual victory. Confession, I like to think, simply clears the fog so that now I can start walking a life that's marked by obedience and fellowship. And you and I, as we step out of that deep, dense fog and feel this exhilarating reality of light in our soul because of confession, can begin to assume that this is victory. All the while, virtually very little has changed in our life tangibly. And so in that moment, uh, that spiritual high, so to speak, we can, on the other side of that, experience some of the deepest lows in our soul. Because we've never made the distinction that a walk with God, a walk in the light, has everything to do more with obedience than it has to do with confession. Now, we can never gain traction in our walk forward with the Savior as long as there are things hidden in our lives that are helping to reinforce the darkness. The one, confession, is necessary for being able to walk forward with traction and momentum. But let's not just get so overwhelmed and content with the release we feel by confession with God and those who deserve to know that we lose the traction and momentum going forward the next day because of never taking the steps of lasting change. Finally, an open person lives a life of perpetual defeat and habitual confession without ever experiencing lasting change. 
I remember going to my dad one time and telling him this is when I was teen, and I remember telling him, Dad, I feel like I'm a good confessor. I can always acknowledge to you in the rearview mirror what I should, have, uh, should not have done after I've already done it. I wish I could get to the place where I'm actually making the right decisions on the front end. And I can tell you I never felt freer in my life than being able to have a relationship that was marked by transparency. We need that. I'm discovering very much in the role of counseling that change doesn't happen in a session. It happens in the context of mentorship. I used to use the words and the concept of the need for accountability. But you know, accountability misses something that's so much bigger to this relationship called mentorship, discipleship in our walk forward. It's not just an event uh, of... uh, accountability that sets us on a track for lasting change. It's the the nurturing of mentorship and discipleship in our lives. God wants to use individuals in your life that fan that flame so you can truly walk with power with God and power with man. A broken person is one, in contrast, who lives a life of conscious dependence on and obedience to the Holy Spirit of God for lasting freedom. So what's the difference? Is a broken person one who finally comes to the place where they never sin again? Absolutely not. First John reminds us if that were ever the case, we'd be lying to ourselves and to God. But it ought to be that as we step forward to the place of usefulness, our lives are not so much marked by living every day from what I should or shouldn't have done or should or shouldn't do, but we're living in a place of just conscious dependence upon the Spirit of God. God wants to work in our lives in such a way where we nurture our friendship with His Spirit, where we count Him as our best friend. I just want to remind us this morning as we close that God has called you to something big. God has called you to something special. He's called you to something unique, something that only you can do. You know, Daniel could have never fulfilled Samuel's responsibility, and Noah could never have fulfilled John the Baptist's role. And you could swap any set of Bible characters, and the fact is, God ordained for each individual, we read in the pages of Scripture, a calling just for them. God's got something for you too. And he's ordained you for this hour. And the biggest key to us being able to walk forward, having power with God and power with men, is being an individual that's not just living a life marked by openness. I hope God brings all of us to that place this morning, but that we go beyond that place to a place of brokenness. And just to conclude with exactly where we started, Isaiah 57, 15, just says it so well. I dwell in the high and lofty place. I dwell with him. I dwell with her also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. So my question this morning as we go to pray, which are you, open or broken? Can we bow our heads and pray? 
As we conclude our session this morning, I just want to encourage you with the fact that God wants to take you well beyond a place perhaps you've ever been in your life to this point. Perhaps you're here at Baptist College of Ministry because of some incredible cleansing work God's already done to bring you to this incredible surrender. But I promise you, God wants to do so much with your life, and there's only one thing that hinders that incredible work he wants to do. The enemy, again, understands your potential better than you do. And God, in creating you, has ordained you for that potential. And as we come this morning, God wants to do something that's deeper than just openness. We don't want to be like some of those seven men who said those words, Yes, I have sinned. But their lives were never marked by power with God, power with men. I just want to encourage you, as God is just working in your life, that you would just invite the Spirit of God to take you from openness the brokenness with him. Psalm 80 says, Turn us again, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Father in heaven, I come to you this morning, and I thank you that you're working in our lives. I thank you that you have ordained everyone in this room for something big, something special, something only they can do, and the enablement of your spirit. And Father, as we come to today, today and every day is absolutely strategic to achieving that vision. And it requires the cost of not just being a Christian marked by openness, but a Christian marked by brokenness. Father, I thank you that you're wanting to put us on a pathway to power with God, power with men. We pray in your precious name, because you care. Amen.